welcome to the Total Clarity Podcast. I'm Jesse Hyatt. And I'm Mike Varley. And it is 10 p.m. on a Friday. We are five marathons deep into the week. And I am about to take my AP history final. Yeah, Mike's been studying up about the Battle of Brooklyn. That's right. That was our walk for week 30, covering the biggest battle of the Revolutionary War. And it happened here in New York City. Yeah, who knew? Yeah. I guess a lot of people probably knew because it happened at the beginning of the founding of our country. That's right. I knew something about it because I grew up in Long Island. It's also known as the Battle of Long Island. So Why is that? Well, because I think Brooklyn wasn't incorporated until the 1800s. Oh. So it was truly Long Island at that point. Right. And we, we often will say, well, we are on Long Island right now. That's true. Because we're on the island. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's why. And yeah. yeah, as a Long Islander, you had firsthand knowledge to what Long Island was like. <laughs> and, and maybe they even more wanted to tell you about it because it was a local battle. Yeah. Yeah. We learned in fourth grade very early. Wow. Yeah. And I, well, I won't give anything away. We'll, uh. We'll describe it as it unfolds, but we have a lot to get to this episode, so we're going to, I guess, dive pretty much right in. Yeah, let's dive right in. I guess we should tell people the reason that we're talking about uh, history today and a war, in particular the American Revolution, we, that was our theme this week. That was the theme of our walk this week was the Revolutionary War and the Battle of Brooklyn in particular, and we walked from historical site to historical site. That's right. And for those watching or listening on Spotify, you won't see this, but for those watching, you'll see that there is a map behind my left shoulder. And that is a map of all of the battle points. And we have a uh, stick. Stick Stick from Vermont. A magical stick that (laughs) kind of looks like driftwood uh, and maybe, you know, maybe was at the battle. We can't say definitively that it wasn't. It's it's, uh, actually quite likely that after the Battle of Brooklyn, it got into the upper New York Bay, as we can see there, traveled up the Hudson River, uh, made a right turn at some point, and landed in your family's lake in Vermont. That's Vermont up there. So yeah. that's a that's just an example of what you might see later in this episode. Mike's going to use the stick to point out spots on the map. And if you are listening only on audio and not watching this visually, this is going to be a great time for you to use your imagination when we are pointing those spots out. That's or you right. could just pull up a map. That's right. So we thought it would okay. be best if I did most of the research this week we traded Jesse's doing more research two weeks from now. Sure. But yes. this way that Jesse could be slightly surprised. Yeah. Although she's she's certainly been listening to the things I've been listening to and going to the spots I've been going to. So she has yeah. a little bit of the information. I, I just I condensed it all. I've been learning it all over again and also maybe for the first time. <laughs> As we've been walking, we've realized that Mike had a much more solid American history education in high school. It turns and out. And since fourth grade, apparently. Yeah. Than I did. Yeah. So. That's okay. We're going to bring We're going to bring it all to bear here. 
yeah. in this hour and a half period of time. And then one last disclaimer, this is one week's worth of cramming for the test. So you're going to do great. I'm going to do great. I'm, I'm very confident in what I'm about to tell. But, you know, this is think of it more like a story as though, uh, though I am using all the facts that are available to me. If you are intrigued by this historical uh, telling, I recommend that you go and find out more for yourself because I am not a historian. I am just a man that walks a marathon every day <laughs> and then comes home and watches YouTube videos and visits websites about the Battle of Brooklyn. Yeah. And while it's not 100% sure that we will not be bringing this up again, there's a high likelihood that this will be the only episode where we spend this much time talking about the Battle of Brooklyn. Absolutely. So anything that we miss on here yeah. is, yeah, certainly to be found somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the battle itself, we should really give a little bit of historical context as to how we got here. So this is the Revolutionary War, obviously, uh -huh. and the Revolutionary War was occurring because the colonists in the 13 colonies of America mm -hmm. were dissatisfied with the rule of their monarchs over the sea, the British. The British. That's right. Yes. And they had, really, they'd, they'd already had 100 plus years of their own self-rule. Okay. And there was the um, there was the Virginia colonies mm -hmm. that were there, uh, and there was the uh, colony in Massachusetts, okay. which was the uh, you know the the Puritans that came over on the Mayflower, sure, right? And they actually got lost. They were supposed to be going to Virginia, and they uh, because they didn't land in a colony, they had to make their own kind of charter, essentially, okay, their own. Constitution, for gotcha. lack of a better word, yeah. which was the Mayflower Compact. Oh. And so that was kind of the first instance of the colonies uh, really figuring out their own self-rule. Right. And there was, that's where town halls came from. Okay. And this is also where this kind of patriot spirit came from mm. that was inciting some of these incidents that occurred up till the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Massachusetts was a very independent location. Okay. And so they had some form of self-rule at the local level, but the governors, they were all um, placed there by the king. Okay. So they didn't, I mean, ultimately they had some say, but the governor had the final say. So the governor of the puritanical Massachusetts colony did he, he, I'm assuming it's a he, did, did this person come over on the Mayflower as well? Or did they come over later? That, I, I mean, I don't know. The, I presume not. Okay. Uh, or but somehow perhaps by the, then, but he didn't get lost on his way over. No. I mean, that was, we're talking 100 plus years yeah. between the Declaration of Independence and the Mayflower Compact. Okay. It's just suffice to say that there was some type of self-rule going on, mm -hmm. but not really. I mean, the, right. the colonies were formed to be, you know, money generators for the kingdom. And mm -hmm. so... How were they generating money? Through, I, I don't know, tobacco and, and other goods, okay. basically, that were being generated here. I mean, whatever the, the of riches of North America, or, fur okay. trading, probably, things Gosh, like that. Yeah. Okay. 
And so they were concerned about not having their own representation in parliament, mm -hmm. that which is the, the famous phrase, no taxation without representation. Mm. And that was that phrase was cooked up as a consequence of uh, several things. One, actual taxes being levied, mm -hmm. which there were taxes for a, a number of years prior to the few years leading up to the revolution, but they weren't really enforced. And there was a lot of like smuggling going on, a mm -hmm. lot of under the table stuff. Mm -hmm. And so they actually, a lot of these taxes that were in, infuriating to the uh, colonists were actually lower than what the original taxes were, but they were being actually enforced. Oh. Uh, so this, yeah. the Stamp Act was one of uh, these taxes, which is okay. like you had to put a stamp on every legal document and, and letter, basically. And you had to pay for a stamp. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there was a molasses tax. Okay. Which is another one that obviously the tea tax, which would, right. you know had the the Boston Tea Party. Mm -hmm. um, so that all of this taxation without representation wasn't really going well with people. Yeah. Another reason why they were trying to. The reason they were trying to up the revenue on the taxes was because the French-Indian War had just occurred. Right. Which was a war between the French and the British uh, to resolve land disputes in North America mm -hmm. over Canada and the colonies and whatnot. The British won, but they were in tremendous debt afterwards, and so they were looking to extract value from the colonies. and. Their rationale was, hey, look, we're, we need this so that we can pay for your defense. And mm. the response of the colonies was, what, what defense? You just, you just beat the people. There, there's nobody to defend us from. Right. Okay. And th they also had a, you know, a streak of independence, a, a belief that they could defend themselves. So mm -hmm. the tensions kept rising back and forth. And they had this idea of being represented, the, particularly Massachusetts mm -hmm. uh, was looking to spearhead this. They put this forth to the parliament, and the first response was this concept known as virtual representation. Okay. And virtual representation meant that they didn't need specific representation because the members of parliament were always thinking of the colonies. Oh, that so it's not that they were getting on Zoom? No, they were not getting oh, on Zoom. Oh, okay. So, so that didn't so fly, obviously. So the idea was that the members, yeah, right. Okay, I'm sure the members of the parliament were always thinking about the colonists and yeah. knew exactly what they wanted. Yeah, way before Zoom existed where they could yeah. even, what, it would take at least a month to get across the seas to send any sort of communication about what they were actually thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Anything can change in that time. Yeah. So that was the first uh, offering. The second one, I and this is where, you know, my week of studying uh, will show among many other times. <laughs> There was, I guess, a proposal that that Massachusetts would have representation specifically. There was this one region in Massachusetts that would have representation, okay. perhaps to represent the whole colonies, or maybe just Massachusetts was really gung-ho about it. Because they were just the ones that, yeah. yeah and, and that was rejected as well. By the parliament. Yes. Okay. And so there was all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, tensions were flared mm -hmm. uh, and... This led to a series of incidents. Uh, they had the first shots were fired when there was protesting going on. Right. Some uh, some folks up in Boston, I believe, were throwing snowballs at the British, and a right. gun accidentally went off. But then the other British troops started firing as a consequence. Yeah. Then there was uh, 
Lexington and Concord, which were like the first kind of proper fights, but not as a United States nation. It was kind of more just rebels at that point. Okay. But they were fighting the soldiers in a like um, something that would be a closer to warfare. Okay. But it was just that one colony at that point? Or well, no, I, had I, some other colonies come up and joined the fight? I, I believe at this point everything was still happening in New England. Mm-hmm. However, they were garnering support throughout the colonies. Okay. Galvanizing, trying to make what happened. The Continental Congress come together okay. and sign the Declaration of Independence. So that is the speed run version of the events leading up to this. Cool. So that's around March or so. Yeah. The... Uh, or Ju- July 1776 was when the Declaration of Independence was signed. I guess, yeah, March, the British leave. So prior, not 1777, but 1776, March, March the British go up to Nova Scotia. Okay. And they start kind of uh, figuring out what they're going to do. Well, so they were like planning how to deal with the colonists yes. up there? Yes. Okay, gotcha. The Declaration of Independence formally came along. July. Why'd they go all the way to Nova Scotia? Why didn't they go to, like, Maine or something? Well, they didn't... I don't know if <laughs> Maine wasn't uh, welcoming to them at that point. Nova Scotia, they definitely owned. It was Canada. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. They already had, like, taken that over. Yeah, and Nova Scotia okay. may be closer to England, so there might be... Okay, you know. yeah. So... That's... I keep having to remember that this is before anything that I know exists. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so during this time, also the uh, we're we're now like pivoting to to New York, right? Okay. And we're thinking about what Brooklyn is looking like mm-hmm. at this point. What's Brooklyn looking like at this point? Mostly farmland. Okay. It's uh, Dutch settlers, okay. a lot of loyalists uh, right. that are there as well. So. What does that mean? What's a loyalist? Loyal to the crown. They're not particularly Mm. interested in this battle to be happening right here. And we can make a a real distinction between Long Island and New York City at this point as well. Again, uh, the New York City, a.k.a. Manhattan, Mm -hmm. is interested in being separate. Where I, I think my guess, I didn't read this explicitly, but the colonies were not allowed to trade as a separate entity with other nations. Okay. So they, because New York's M.O. to this day, but it's particularly back then, was it was about making money. Money was mm-hmm. like a central theme about New York City. Hmm. And so you're really cutting these merchants off at the kneecaps if they can't trade with other people. They have to trade with the, the crown. Right. Presumably not getting favorable rates, certainly not being able to maximize uh, their own personal profits. Right. So that was probably why uh, they, they were interested in doing this and there again there were loyalists here there were dutch here but i guess not enough to really seriously hamper defensive preparations okay so from march to august what happened was they were building encampments or or not not encampments um like forts Mm -hmm. and uh redoubts making passes narrower Mm -hmm. basically making situations where it would be easier to defend Long Island should there be attack. Creating, like, battlefield hurdles and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
that's that's going on. It was not typical for war to happen in the winter back then. Mm -hmm. Probably part of the reason why they were you know they were waiting for the warmer weather to come. Mm -hmm. And during this time, we have uh, the Howe brothers. They How? are yes, the Howes. Okay. They are leading the British invasion. Okay. And I... Are they generals? Yes, generals. That's how they're doing it? Yes. Stupid. Yep. Okay. And, <laughs> the, and George Washington is the leader of the colonial forces. Okay. I did learn about him in school. Yeah, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And George Washington fought alongside the British during the French-Indian War. Okay. He did not have a great track record. Mm -hmm. The first time he encountered the French, he surrendered. Right. And that was a stain on him. And he uh, he wanted to be known as a great general. Right. And known, being known as a great general back then was not just, not just your uh, acumen in war. It was also almost a, a chivalry component to it. Okay. A, there that? was there was a, a way in which a general should comport themselves. There was a style in which they interacted with each other. Mm. It was it was kind of show it, it, it was so I guess um, neoclassically cool being able to control your emotions. Okay. Being uh, civil perhaps to a fault, okay. but he that's what he wanted. He, he had an ambition to be thought of as one of these great men at that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And so there are some that suggest that if they had, they being the British, had just treated him like a proper officer back during the French Indian War, there would not have been a rebellion to begin with. Wow. So... Well, was were they not treating him like an officer and giving him the opportunity? Or, I mean, it sounds like he also just didn't didn't do a good job. Well, I mean, I, it, it seems both. to me from what I can understand that surrendering was not terribly uncommon okay. in these types of situations. And also, like, there were horse trades for horse trades. You know, there were exchanges of generals and majors and colonels all the time in this type of war. People would get captured often oh. and then exchanged because, well, I guess they were valuable. Right. But also the just the mortality rates of the weapons and the, just the strategy mm -hmm, of the war. Mm -hmm, very mm -hmm. different situation. Just so different. Yeah. yeah. So they the I think the British in general, from what I can understand, didn't really have a high opinion of the colonial troops, period. It wasn't like Washington was some sort of, you know, um, exception. Gotcha. They just kind of thought of, I think they just thought of them as backwoods. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. So that's where we are there. They had actually the, when the uh, British first started arriving again mm -hmm. in preparation for the invasion, they had a little peace powwow prior who? The British and George Washington? Yes, the generals. Okay. They got together. Okay. And so the Howes and the George Washington. I Yeah, I'm not sure if it was explicitly the Howes. Probably was. Okay. But they ended up having a very um, 
civil discussion where they said that the, the, the British said that they were empowered to pardon and forgive okay. anybody that was involved. And uh, George Washington said, uh, well, I'm, I'm not really sure why you're here because we have done no thing, nothing to deserve, you know, pardon. Like we are we are beyond. Okay. He did it in a much more eloquent way than I just did. <laughs> but he was, you know, he suggested there's there's no reason to be pardoned. We're we're perfectly fine. And then, right. um, you know, the, the British people, the British officers were like, well, what would you have me say to the king? And and General Washington said, I I would bid you a fond adieu or, you know, like my best wishes to all of you. And right. They were perplexed by, you know. So he was being polite, but maybe like passive aggressive or something. I, I mean, he was being, I think, within the context of what I'm describing as this yeah. kind of civility to an extreme. Right. You know. Do you know who the king was at this time? George. King George. Okay. Yeah. And so that uh, a lot of this information I'm getting, there's a, a, a 20 minute PBS excerpt on YouTube about the Battle of Brooklyn, right. which features a young Philip Seymour Hoffman as a colonial soldier. Right. So that was out of nowhere. We were just watching and then Philip Seymour Hoffman's <laughs> on the screen. He, he was playing like a very thoughtful colonial soldier, too. Yeah. Well, of course, you know. Yeah. But that was that was fun. Uh, it, that's more that account is a little more on the almost like biopic side mm -hmm. of things. Uh, some of the other uh, information that had is a little on the, on the drier but more informative side. But it was it was still fun. We have the British now arriving. When is when where when in time are we? Are we in July? Are we in August? August. August twenty second. Oh. So, but before this, the British were on Staten Island, correct? There were... They were preparing themselves? Well, with... there were a number of British on Staten Island, that's yeah. correct. And, but they had arrived there from Nova Scotia. So sometime early August, maybe, they sailed back down from Nova Scotia to Staten Island. If, mm -hmm. I, if I may, I believe that's when the Hessians came over too from Germany and trained with the British. Yes. Okay. So there are several different figures out there. I'm mostly going to refer to the figures that are presented at the Old Stone House. And the Old Stone House is a museum that is in Park Slope that is a part of our map here. We'll be talking about a little bit. It's where we got the bit. map from. It's where we got the map from. And it's a wonderful museum. It is extremely children friendly. I would say it's almost like a science center for history. Yeah, totally. It had a lot of different activities, things to touch, play with, games to play that we even, Jesse and I played one of the board games. Like they made this board game for colonial and redcoats to fight over a, ter yeah. a territory. Yeah, and you won. I did win. We played an abbreviated version. <laughs> and we had a, a very nice time talking to Casey, one of the staff there. She was very informative mm -hmm. and uh, very pleasant to talk to. And yeah, can't recommend it enough yeah. as far as a resource for this, this battle and for honestly the area in general. Yeah. It's also, I mean, just as a tangent, the Old Stone House also has a contemporary art exhibit space Yes. above this historical area, and they mostly focus on art that is 
related to some sort of activism or social justice or um, sort of contemporary thoughtful intellectual art. And our friend Tahir, right. who was on the podcast at the very, very beginning in one of our first weeks, the beaches of Brooklyn and Queens, he actually had an art exhibit there a year and a half ago or so. That's right. Our first... So it's all coming together. Our first walking podcast guest. Yeah. Tahir Karmali. Yeah. Yes. So that... So anyway, back to oh, the Battle of Brooklyn. Yes. I oh. will be using their numbers mostly as representative of, of what's going on. So right. they're the invading force of the Battle of Brooklyn was 32,000 soldiers. That includes, or that does not include 10,000 sailors, mm. 300 supply ships, 30 battleships, and 1,200 cannon on those battleships. Okay. Two points to really make this impactful. That deployment of ships was the largest deployment of the Royal Navy until the 20th century. So, wow. yeah, many yeah. hundreds of years until that something of that size happened When, again. why did they send out ships that next time? Was it World that War I? That I don't know, probably World War I. I'm not, I'm not certain. Okay. So the 32,000 soldiers. Yeah. How that compares to New York City? Yeah, how? The population of New York City during the Revolutionary War was 25,000 people. Whoa. So there were more soldiers coming in, by 5,000 more soldiers coming in than there were even people living Men, women, there. and children in New York City. And like you said earlier, some of those people were loyalists, which meant that they weren't even interested in having this war. They wanted to just stay under British rule and be done with it. Right. So, wow. Yeah. So not a lot of not a lot of people to fight back, huh? Yeah. The this is really kind of a old school version of shock and awe, if you want to call it. They really wanted to nip this thing in the bud, mm. end it quickly, mm. and demoralize the colonists. Sure. Make it so that they would give up these inclinations to rebel immediately. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So they are preparing on Staten Island to invade Long Island. Mm -hmm. They're training, whatnot. The uh, colonists are in their own right uh, preparing under George Washington. Mm -hmm. And they, the, the 32,000 is made up of 27,000 British troops. And as you mentioned, the Hessians. Yeah. The Hessians are German. Yeah. Uh, for higher soldiers. Yeah. Seven dollars a person, right? Seven pounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the equivalent would be right now, but seven pounds yeah. a head back then. Yeah. That's probably a lot back then, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we have on August 22nd, the British touchdown where the contemporary Fort Hamilton is. Mm called Denny's Ferry. Mm -hmm. they, I don't think they know exactly where that is. We went down there. We caught some footage. Mm -hmm. Was there a fort there at the time? No, there was not a no. fort there at the okay, time. Okay, it was just empty. It was just empty. 
and I wonder how much um, in the psyche of the country there was a, a feeling of a need to set up all these forts because, mm. you know, we, as we've been doing this walk, we have encountered now a number of forts yeah. set up. You know, there's Fort Hamilton uh, down where we were walking today. There's mm -hmm. Fort Wadsworth across mm -hmm. the water on the other side of Staten Island. There's uh, Fort Totten, mm -hmm. which we've been to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a... And a, we know that there's more. Yeah. We haven't been to a number of them yet, but there's at least a couple in the Bronx, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I'm going to rattle off a number of forts that were in existence at that time in a moment. Yeah. But these are just the ones that are seen. That are still, like, being used as something right now. Yeah. Oh, and that are seen. Sea-oriented, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, they land at Denny's Ferry. We, we took the footage from John Paul Jones Park. Uh -huh. John Paul Jones uh -huh. was the founder of the U.S. Navy. Okay, when did or that... Or kind of the father, not the founder, the father oh. of the U.S. Navy. When that did was he... during the Revolutionary War. Oh. Yes. He is famous for the saying, I have not yet begun to fight. When Are would he say that, like during a... Fight? He didn't. It wasn't like <laughs> he wasn't. It wasn't his catchphrase. Oh. <laughs> it was a thing that he said once. He said it while he was fighting with a British naval ship during the Revolutionary War yeah. in 1779 off the co coast of Yorkshire, England, which I didn't have the oh. time to really investigate why they would be doing. Like, like why they were over there fighting? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know if they were just looking for a fight or what. But was it during the Revolutionary War? It was, yeah. 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 So 1779. So John Paul sailed over there to Yorkshire, started fighting with the British, and then said, I haven't even begun to fight. Well, they I have were, not yet begun to fight. They were in the middle of a battle. Okay, yeah. And the British called for them to surrender prematurely. Oh, okay. And they, the boats were attached. That was the way that some warfare happened back then. They would mm -hmm. clamp onto each other. Okay. I, you know, soldiers would go back and forth. They would fight right. that way, but they would also just be shooting into each other. And chaos. Yeah, I mean chaos. The yeah. ultimately, it it sounded like maybe the U.S. ship should have gone down, mm. but the uh, they couldn't totally finish it off because they were literally stuck together. together. Yeah. And then the uh, U.S. forces were able to take over wow. that boat and then ultimately rehabilitated it and gave it to the French. And it served as uh, another vessel for a little bit as well until it ultimately caught on fire like a couple of years later or something. Okay. Wait, why did they give it to the French? I feel like we're getting off topic. But why did they give it to the French? Was they the, were allies the at, that point, help at that point. Did the French help then? Later on, okay. the French came into right. the war to help. Because it started with us, or with us, with the British and the colonists fighting against the French. And then at some point during the Revolutionary War, the French came and fought with the colonists against the British. That's right. Interesting. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. There's a, a another, so they basically captured the ship and the, because of international law or because of, laws that were 
not recognizing the U.S. as a nation. Mm -hmm. They were not allowed harbor, I think, in the Netherlands. Okay. So they constructed a flag. Like I don't, I don't know why the flag makes it okay, but they made a, a basically a John Paul Jones specific flag that was half U.S. and like half like crazy. I would, I, I'm only bringing it up because I think it's worth checking out John Paul Jones flag. Yeah. Because it, it, I'd like to see that too. Yeah, it, it looks pretty nifty. Okay. So. Huh. Okay. And that allowed them then the Dutch were like, oh. You're allowed to come in now. Now you're your own yeah. thing. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. But we should go back to the war. So, using yeah. my stick, we have the British coming here. Yeah. John Paul Jones Park, Fort Hamilton. Okay. August 22nd. They then move up to here. Mm-hmm. What's that? And take up, well, it's like the Flatbush area. Okay. And as you can see, that's already the uh, colonists have ceded a lot of area. I don't know what was actually happening down here. There might not have been a lot happening. At that point, there were only yeah. six towns that made up Brooklyn. So right. it might just be that not much was settled Maybe here. Maybe they just weren't really living there yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Part of this whole thing was that the Continental Congress, the you know makings of the U.S. government, mm -hmm. felt that it was important that they make a show of defending this area, yeah. or at least try, okay. even though they knew they were going up against the most powerful navy in the world Yeah. in a battleground that was entirely made of islands. Right. Yeah, that's difficult for them. So whether it was because New York was so important or because there was this kind of chivalrous attitude about warfare where you needed to at least make a go of things. Yeah. I'm not I'm not personally clear why it was. It seems that Washington knew that it was a potential for failure as well. Right. But they were gonna they were committed to making this thing happen anyway. Yeah. I think it makes sense. I mean if the the British are coming over with all these ships and all this stuff and they're trying to like intimidate the colonists or the revolutionaries into just sort of forfeiting right away if they hadn't have fought this then they would have just been doing what the british want like expected them to do right i so maybe it was like i don't own. know i mean for one they don't necessarily know that they were going to be doing this massive invasion right. <laughs> they don't know how many troops they have until the battle has already begun right and also they, you know, it'd be one thing if there were, if all the soldiers for the co colonies were all New York-based soldiers. There's not really an advantage here. They don't, yeah. they, these are folks coming from Pennsylvania, from Maryland, from all over the colonies. Yeah. They don't know what the terrain is like. They don't live here. Right. That It's not your typical home field advantage situation. So I... I, the only thing would be that at least you could get a sense of what the forces were. Yeah. Bef you know. Uh, otherwise, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's. It doesn't seem particularly advantageous to fight this fight. But yeah. it would make it so that you know they they knew they were involved in an actual war, yeah. which they could potentially then use to rally the rest of the colonies around to the idea of this. Right. So it wasn't just, they weren't just going to 
guerrilla it for the entirety of things. Right. And I guess regardless of what they were thinking, this, it happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. August 23rd, the next day, mm-hmm. were the first skirmishes of the war. What's a skirmish? Just little Ooh, fighting back and forth. Okay. Colonel Edward Hand and 550 Pennsylvania riflemen attacked the Hessian encampment at Flatbush. Oh. And the Hessians were harassed and mystified, and they were they were quoted as saying, the colonists were clever at hunter's wiles, they climbed trees, they crawl forward on their bellies for 150 paces, shoot, and go quickly back again. Oh. <laughs> Washington didn't actually like this because it w- made it unclear to know when the major battle had begun. It was just kind of mm. a lot of uh, static. Right. Gotcha. It was yeah. a little like jumping the gun. Is that what, maybe that's where it comes from. Maybe. Yeah. Probably not because no. that's how you start a race. Oh. But maybe that's how that predated it. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So the 24th to 25th and the 26th, a lot of more gearing up now that the British have arrived on the island itself. They're, I guess, figuring out their plan. On the colonist side, they are getting their forts ready, getting their troops ready, deciding where the troops are going to be between Manhattan and Brooklyn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They ultimately recognize that it, it appears from what their intelligence and their eyes can tell them that the the invasion is going to happen principally to start in Long Island. So they moved some more troops over. Okay. This seems like a good opportunity to talk about the different forts that exist. Yeah. In the Brooklyn area, both past and present. Okay. They actually don't, they serve a role in the battle, but they're, none of them are exactly directly sieged at any mm. point mm-hmm. uh, during this particular battle. But uh, they are... Uh, they are firing during the the course of the battle at troops. Uh, they are uh, repurposed and sometimes exist. And it's interesting what forms they take in contemporary times. Mm. We'll start with Fort Defiance. Okay. Fort Defiance is out in Red Hook. Uh-huh. And Fort Defiance is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it was during the Revolutionary War right on the water's edge. Okay. However, in the intervening 200 plus years, mm-hmm. it is now a good four to five blocks away from the water's edge. Wow. How is that possible? Oh, wow. That's because the landfill tactics that were used throughout all of New York City, really, to uh. build out the amount of area that you could have housing, industry, and the whatnot mm-hmm. on it. I believe that the Dutch in particular were skilled at this. And brought these tactics to New York, and you can see its okay. imprints all over, really. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Like the canals and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, where, around where it's believed that the fort stood, yeah. there's a general store. Yeah. The Fort Defiance General Store. And where in modern day is that? Van Brunt and, do you remember the cross street? No, it's definitely Van Brunt. I can't recall the other one offhand. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. The I, we have video for we have video for all these forts, so yeah. you probably spy it as we're looking yeah. at it. But and it is uh, as far as its role uh, during the battle, it was exchanging fire with the ships that were in the the bay. 
Oh, wow. Okay. And it engaged the HMS Roebuck. And this was a British diversionary tactic, actually. Oh. So it was while the ships were landing down at Denise Ferry, uh -huh. the uh, fort was engaging with the ship. And ultimately... All the way down from there? No, no, no. They, see, the, the ships were up here. Like okay. while, while the transport ships oh. were doing their thing, there were plenty of other ships there in different parts. There was another ship up near Fort Defiance uh, to sort of distract them. Again, there is a lot of water <laughs> around yeah. in this battle. So right. there were a lot of ships being able to do stuff. Also, though, okay. a thing about these cannons is that they have a range of one to two miles, which... I mean, compared to contemporary weapons, obviously, wow. is not much. But compared to what you might think a not cannon really can fire. That's really far. That's yeah. way farther than I would think. That's right. So the Statue huh. of Liberty, which is very prominent from the Red Hook area, you can see it. Yeah. That's about two miles away. So you could hit the Statue of Liberty from the general store. Wow. With one of those cannons. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. And so, so if a ship's out there, but the the ships have cannons on them too. Right? They do, and okay. in fact, the Roebuck was able to destroy the cannons on Fort Defiance during oh. this battle. Oh darn! Or at least they, the the fort took damage. At least they the guns were possibly destroyed. They don't know okay. for certain. Yeah. But that was the role that it played, and wow. that's the first one. Uh, we also have Fort Box. Okay. And all of these, not all of these, I guess Defiance is not named after, but, but most of these are named after, you know, different officers okay. that were there at the time. Well, so maybe there was an officer Defiance. Maybe. <laughs> this was a General Green senior aide, Major Daniel Box. Uh-huh. And it is now Contemporary Carroll Park, oh. which we walk through this week and was just swarmed with children most of the yeah, time. Yeah, defiant children. Defiant children, <laughs> that's right. We were doing Early one video for our 360 video of this particular walk. And as we were doing it, there were these two preteens, preteen girls that walked by us. And the one girl said to the other girl, why the F are they filming us? She said the whole word. I did, or she did. She... I, did I did not. No. Which was uh, pretty funny because we definitely were not filming her. It no. just was the thing that she even walked by us. It wasn't yeah. really like she was not the focal point. But they were just It was just a typical. Angsty. It was like it was just a teenage reaction to seeing someone do something with some sort of genuine interest. Right. And a need to like smack that down because it probably just made her feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So. Well, the fine. one the one girl was wearing an American Idiot Green Day T-shirt, yeah. which I thought was hilarious. Actually, before they even said that, I thought it was funny that she was wearing that. It was disappointing to me because I noticed it was a cold day. She was just wearing a T-shirt, and they looked like kids that were maybe like a little uncomfortable with themselves that they were you know they're like wearing this sort of like punky emo clothes from way before they were born and uh, I smiled at them because I was like oh these girls are like you know they're like trying to figure out who they are and 
I smiled at them to be the, like their nice adult, and then they had an attitude. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, back to 1776. Back to 1776. The fort was ultimately, you know, decommissioned. It didn't stick around in the same mm -hmm. way some of these other ones were going to. When talk was it about. decommissioned? Uh, I'm not sure the exact day, but it Post ultimately war. turned into Carroll Park in the yeah. 1850s. And Carroll Park is named after Maryland Representative Charles Carroll, oh. who was the only Catholic to sign the Declaration of Independence. Oh, wow. Yeah. Were most people Protestant? Uh, yeah. And Puritans? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Quakers. Oh, yeah. Quakers. And so this, uh, this fort provided some cover for soldiers later in the battle uh, when, they, when there was retreating going on for the colonists. I don't know how much I want to reveal, uh, but there was some retreating that happened through the Gowanus Marsh. Nailed as a canal, but previously it was a marsh. Uh, our next uh, fort to go over was Fort Sterling, mm -hmm. uh, named after the General Sterling, who will play a role later. Okay. This was in the Brooklyn Heights area. Okay. It exchanged fire with the English cruisers, again, that were in the bay. So just some back and forth that was going on. Right. Uh, there's a plaque near Clark Street that you can check out. Mm -hmm. I didn't get any footage of that one, but oh. it exists there. And it uh, housed the Hessians oh. during the British occupation oh, wow. of uh, New York for the remainder of the battle. So they the, did take it over. Well, they took it over, yeah. I mean, they, New York does fall. I mean, I, I can say that away much. the story. Well, Spoiler alert. <laughs> That part is, uh, yeah, that's pretty evident. Well, I I, most people it... that know what's going on, if they know anything about the Revolutionary War, it's that New York was retained by the British for the war. I wonder how that happened. Yes, I guess we'll find out. We'll find out soon. Then there is Cobble Hill Fort, which okay. is a funny one, also known as Ponkysburg. Oh. This one is a Trader Joe's. Oh, that's the Trader Joe's. That's right. Ponkysburg. That's right. Why is it called Ponkysburg? I feel like that's, I shouldn't, it sounds like a word that like I'm not supposed to say. Yeah, I don't know why it's called Ponkysburg. Okay. Yeah. It is, it provides a 360 degree view of South Brooklyn, the New York Harbor, and the East River. So okay. this was where George Washington was watching everything unfold. Oh, he was when, there? When he was the at big, the Trader Joe's? Yes, when the big uh, stuff was happening. Okay. It was a, uh, when it w was taken over by the British, it was flattened because it was a hill and they didn't want the Americans to be able to use it again should it be retaken. Ugh. So it was flattened. Yeah. But then it was rebuilt again by the Americans during the War of 1812. Oh, well, I guess it was a good spot. I guess so, yeah. Or they just were stubborn. I'm not really sure. Yeah, we're both. Yeah. Uh, it uh, guarded then Red Hook Lane. Okay. And it si was the signaling of the arrival of the British on Long Island. They shot off some guns to let everybody know that the British were there. Oh, okay. So that, that's what happened there. Okay. And there is now a, a, a plaque on the Trader Joe's site that... Uh, commemorates all of this. Yeah. And the Trader Joe's itself is actually in a bank. So it, right. it but that that bank was not there at the time, obviously. Right. So, but, but it is like the big building. It looks like it maybe could have been a fort too. It seems, yeah, it seems like it has some antiquity to it. Yeah. And then there is the 
old Fort Greene. Yes. Not to be confused with the new Fort Greene, which we'll get to in a second. It is confusing. Yeah. That was just a couple blocks up from the Cobble Hill Fort. Okay. Uh, somewhere around State Street and Skemmerhorn Street. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they, it was a star-shaped fort. Oh, cool. It had six mounted guns, and it guarded the Brooklyn Flatbush Road. Right now, there's a mall or a uh, gym there. It's oh. kind of uh, more. And some of those areas there, that it's kind of it's in the downtown Brooklyn yeah. section. So you Where can. Where it's kind of like a mall and lots of shopping and stuff right there. Big buildings. It's just big buildings. I wouldn't yeah. say a lot of shopping. It it but it feels because it's in downtown Brooklyn. It it kind of feels like. It isn't like downtown Manhattan, but it kind of feels like that. Just like it's been around a while, so it's right. more developed than some of these other areas that still re- retain some lower density residential properties. Right. Can we get back to this fort for a second? It was in yeah. the shape of a star, but it had six cannons. Were that was it a six pointed star, or was there one cannon in the center, or how did they figure that out? I don't know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure if the guns are on the star points or if they're in between. Okay. And then there, finally, we have Fort Greene, which at the time was known as Fort Putnam. Oh. Yeah. And Fort Putnam was important because it had its high elevation Mm -hmm. and it was exchanging uh, fire with the... uh, Guns over a Mount Prospect that the British took later in the battle, which we'll talk about a little bit. Okay. That was kind of the role it played in this particular It was exchanging. Thing. It was going back and forth yeah. fighting with them. But it has a much more important distinction today. Mm-hmm. It both has a memorial at the top of it, which is called Martyr's Monument, mm-hmm. and houses the remains of said martyrs. The prison ships that occupied the bay during the entirety of the Revolutionary War Mm -hmm. were really terrible conditions. Uh, Disease, um, malnourishment, very narrow confines. These were the British prison ships holding the people that were not British? Yes. Okay. And eleven or wanted to not be British. That's right. Go on. And eleven thousand men and women died. Wow. During this time in the prison ships. Was it all people from New York, or were these people from the whole, uh, all the colonies throughout the Revolution? I don't know explicitly, but I'm pretty sure it is throughout different battles. Okay, I hope so because there were only twenty five thousand people in New York. So that'd mm-hmm. be half of the population almost. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very significant. And now it is, you know, a place of recreation and leisure. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but it is uh, remarkable that you might not know that, that I mean, that's such, such a significant number. Yeah. Well, and that monument is really, I mean, it's at the very top of the park. You do still have a really good view from there. And the monument is really tall mm-hmm. and stands out. Yeah. So yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't know what that is, but then I would also think that people probably do read the, the sign there because it's pretty distinctive. Okay, so we have all the forts down now. Mm -hmm. We can get into the battle proper. Yeah, let's get into it. August 26th, in the evening, British generals Percy, Clinton, and Cornwallis depart Flatbush under a full moon and head towards the Jamaica Pass. Okay. They'd received a tip that the Americans had left their flank unguarded. They went to Howard's Tavern and Halfway House, mm -hmm. where they forced William Howard and his son to lead them through present-day Evergreen Cemetery to surprise the few American troops stationed there. Wow, where, where's that? Where's what? Where's Evergreen Cemetery? It's near us. Oh! That's right. I knew that one. Yeah. I knew where that was. But, that's cool that yeah, that's but, right near our house. So we'll talk about... Howard's Tavern and Halfway House a little bit. Yeah. That is in the Broadway Junction area. Okay. On Alabama Avenue and Atlantic. Okay. And that remains a pretty busy hub of activity. Yeah. It, you know, lots of overhead train tracks and the Long Island Railroad is there, mm -hmm. the subway is there. And yeah, I mean, you can... the the King's Highway is near that area as well. Mm -hmm. You can see, or I always think when I see these big, wide roads that are not highways, I, I always think that these must have been around for quite some time. It seems right. like something, just the evolution naturally of humans using the same roads again and again. Yeah. yeah. Turns out you're right about that. Yeah. We'll get into that later. Yeah. What was Howard's Halfway House? It was a, a you know, a, a lodging for people like that were inn. traveling. Yeah. Like an inn. Yeah. It's interesting that we use the term halfway house still, but it doesn't, it means something else. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm not sure exactly what it, the context it meant then and how it evolved, but that yeah. was, that's not my understanding that it yeah. has the same it's meaning. It's more like just a hotel. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we'll get, we'll get a little bit more to what you were excited about in a second. Okay. But the idea is that this is the bulk of the British force we're talking about here. Mm. Uh, something like uh, 16,000 soldiers. Oh, so a little more than half, sure. Yeah, that are going around this way. And this is at nighttime. The Americans have no idea that this is happening. Right, except for Howard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except for Howard. So... At the same time, we're talking August 26th at night, mm -hmm. the Red Lion Inn, okay. which is number two on our map here. Yeah. And that is at the bottom corner of Greenwood Cemetery. Yeah. A chance night encounter between British and Pennsylvania riflemen led to all-night fighting along a mile stretch of hillside from Fifth Avenue to the shoreline along 23rd Street. So from oh, wow. 3rd Avenue to 5th Avenue along 23rd Street right here. Because the shoreline was at 3rd Avenue. At yes, that that's right. Okay. And not too much further from where it is now. Yeah. Yeah. And so the the Red Line Inn at 37th and 5th, there is a, uh, uh, there was a watermelon patch was what it was called. Uh, and 
for some reason there was the the riflemen were just happened to be stationed there so they were able to spy the british a little bit earlier okay was oh, it actually a watermelon patch that's what it says uh, yeah like where they were growing watermelons presumably yeah i didn't even know you could grow watermelons around here sure why not it's like a southern thing but okay so this uh uh alerted washington to the start of things kind of happening as well it was it was loud enough people could hear what was going on right and the while the watermelon patch is on 37th and 5th as i mentioned 23rd mm -hmm. street is where this this fighting was happening it was like a line of uh Oh no, I'm just figuring it out. So they, so they were, they were at 37th, but they kind of got pushed back. To yeah. 23rd? Well, because the riflemen, I don't know if they were supposed to be there or if mm. they were like the advanced guard or something. Right. But uh, there was kind of, I guess uh, maybe all night there was some fighting. But 23rd ended up being the line for a considerable number of hours. Okay. And you can see when you look up and down 23rd, there is a ridge there. Um, you know the the. I never really thought about it, but that's where there's like a big hill mm -hmm. and there's not a lot mm -hmm. of hills in Brooklyn, Yeah, you know, but uh, I've noticed when we've been walking around Evergreen and we want to go up toward Prospect Park, it is like not desirable to make the right up 23rd. Like you'd much rather just go another nine, 10 streets because yeah. there's not a hill there anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that because I lived on 20th. Yeah. No, I lived on 21st. Yeah. I lived on 23rd. I don't remember where I lived, but it was somewhere in right around there. Yeah. And it was a hill. It was really hilly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it it's unclear what the British might have been thinking at this point, but what we know now is that there was no real intention for much of anything to happen at least yet okay. with these troops. Right. The troops what that What were they trying to do? They, they were, were trying, trying to get further. The troops were trying to divert the Americans' attention, mm. while the 16,000 in Broadway Junction and at Howard's Halfway House yeah. were getting in position. Gotcha. So I don't think they really much cared what was going on here. They're, they're also, they're not entirely sure of how many troops the colonists have either. Right. We all know this in in retrospect, but yeah, there were, the, the colonists were outnumbered. Right. I don't have... I think it was maybe they had 20,000 troops total okay. between Manhattan and and Long Island. Right, but they hadn't But they only had like 10 or 11,000 on uh, on Long Island at this point. Yeah, I think it was 11,000. That that seems to stand out for me yeah. from one of the things we listened to. Yeah. Now, we go into the morning of the 27th. Several things are happening at the same time here, but on the morning of the 27th, uh, General Sterling mm -hmm. forms up to face the British General Grant's forces. Okay. This occurs in Greenwood Cemetery. Okay. Now, I only took a very little amount of footage of Greenwood Cemetery, but we're going to be there all next week. So if that's something yeah. you're interested in, you come check it out with oh, us. Oh, and we should be interested because it is a beautiful cemetery. That's right. So they are uh, lining up. Uh, at an area called Wyckoff Hill, which is since known as Battle Hill. Okay. It's around 20th Street, but along kind of the same line okay. that the soldiers of 23rd were. Gotcha. And this is 1,600 Continental soldiers versus 7,000 British soldiers. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And this is right, kind of like right here, I think. Yeah. Like and this is significant because it is the first time that the colonial and British troops face off in traditional battle formations. Oh. Everything prior to this, including Lexington, Bunker Hill, all the stuff that predated the uh, the Declaration of Independence and whatnot, mm -hmm. was like skirmishing. Right. And this is an area where the American troops are not, you know, they're not, they're green. Right. You know, this is the greatest army in the world going up against farmers that are being trained on quick notice. Right. And to give an idea of what the warfare looked like at the time, they they, they were using these muskets that were not accurate. Yeah. These rifle, like they were, they were, uh, yeah, they were not precise. Mm -hmm. And it was very difficult to hit people. Right. And in order to ensure casualties, which sounds crazy, but in order to actually have a, a war where you could decide if somebody won or lost, they would clump up and stand about 100 yards away from each other and just start ripping it. Yeah. And after about the second or third volley, it would become impossible to really discern what was going on. And that's one of the reasons why they had drummer boys, because the drums were one of the only things that could get over the din of all the firing. And so you could use that to tell people when to fire, when to cease, depending on the cadence. Yeah. And really, uh, it was organized chaos until soldiers started running on their own accord or there was a ceasefire command and or pretty much it. So yeah, that's crazy. It, it almost is reminiscent of white blood cells or something and when i think about it is it's this uh yeah i mean maybe it also plays into this idea of the chivalry of war or something too like it mm. it it removes the individuality so much and it's just about you know clumps of units rather than using the most effective tact you know like individual tactics yeah I mean, in a way, it even it's the opposite of removing the individuality, but like it also kind of seems like a duel where it's just like you're going to stand there, you're going to stand there. You both have kind of equal weapons and like someone people need to die so that we know what who wins because we don't know how to figure that out otherwise. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, just also it's just a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So this occurs for about six hours. Okay. Wow. And this is the this is the AM, early AM of the twenty seventh. And meanwhile, back at the Broadway Junction area, mm -hmm. poor William Howard and his son leading the British to the Jamaica Pass, where just five soldiers oh my are guarding the pass. And wow, they really screwed that one up. They huh? did. Interesting thing about this, it's referenced in the old Stonehouse literature that this occurred at Moffat and Central Street. Yeah. Which happens to be... Right down the street from here. It's our laundromat. It's where our laundromat is. Yeah. We had no idea. I don't think the laundromat has any idea either. We need to talk to them Yeah, and we'll see. have to tell them. Yeah. But it was cool to read the literature and realize, like, hey, we know where this is. This yeah. is right near 
Evergreen Cemetery, which is right near our house, and the laundromat's even closer. Yeah. So now that they've defeated the five soldiers that were defending, these 16,000 soldiers start marching all along this line here and take the Bedford Pass. There were hardly any soldiers there either. And at that point, it is, you can see 16,000 people and all the troops are here. They're, they, they're basically stuck, stuck in a clamp between yeah. the Hessians, the British, and uh, the other British. You know, the larger force of British, the smaller force of British, and right. the Hessians. Yeah, that's not a good place for them to be. It's not. It's not. So what did they do? Well, we have, you can just picture them still marching behind them, getting into place. Okay. And there's other for, uh, fighting that's going on right now. In uh, There's the Flatbush Pass, mm -hmm. which is in modern-day Prospect Park. Okay. And General John Sullivan is there. Mm -hmm. And he sends 400 of his men to help General Grant's forces at Greenwood, which okay. we just talked about right. earlier. Yeah. And they are in contention with the Hessian troops oh, wow. who are, you know, right here. Yeah. And they they famously cut down this one tree, Dungan's Oak, which was a boundary tree, which I it was like denotes where uh, families, you know, own farms oh, and whatnot. Oh, okay, yeah, like a property line. Yeah. And they slowed down, uh, they, they were doing this in order to slow down the Hessians, led by oh, General... The, the, um, the American... Yeah. Soldiers cut down Dungan's tree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was Dungan a loyalist or a revolutionary? That I'm not sure. Oh. Yeah. They uh, so yeah the, the Hessians were led by General De Heister, and they uh, as I said earlier both the attack at Greenwood and the attack at Flatbush Push Flatbush Pass were feints. Right. They were meant to distract what was going on really behind the scenes. Right. But. In but any event, they were still outnumbered. You know, they there were 5,000 troops there versus now 800 right. of General Sullivan's forces. So they were outnumbered significantly anyway. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because it seems like even just their, like, distraction technique, they could have not even done the whole Howard thing, and they probably still would have possibly done really well getting yeah. through, even just through those ways. Yeah, but. I mean, it, it. I guess the only thing is how well a defensive force could handle the pass situation. That's right. the only thing. Right. But it really didn't matter. I mean, this is this is all unfolding from the 26th night of a full moon into the early hours of the 27th. Right. They arrived there the 22nd, but it was all kind of just getting ready for mm -hmm. what's happening now in a span of 12 hours. Right. And the British are now completely behind enemy lines, as I mentioned. They take the lightly guarded Bedford Pass, and then they take the old stone house, which we'll get to in a okay. minute, and their position to squeeze the American forces spread alongside the 23rd and 20th streets, as I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And from this point on in the battle, it is all about slaughter and retreat. Okay. There is no real good news for the Americans for the rest of this point. Yeah. They Once the Bedford Pass is taken up here, enough I guess some amount of troops are able to escape and inform uh, Sullivan at Flatbush Pass that this is happening. Okay. He then further 
divides his troops in order to deal with these 16,000 men. So Gosh. he had 1,200 men. He sent 400 to Grant in Greenwood Cemetery. Right. And then he splits his force even further. Some of the men stay at the Oak and yeah. the Flatbush Pass, and others go to deal with the 16,000 at Bedford Pass and marching. Wow. And so the uh, forces that remain at the Flatbush Pass in Prospect Park are bayoneted and, uh, you know, just routed by yeah. the Hessians. Yeah. And then the there's chaos as some of them start uh, running towards the Gowanus Marsh. Okay. And then from the Gowanus Marsh to Brooklyn Heights. Okay. This is now is now just alternating between Union or Union between uh, colonial soldiers either fighting in order to buy time or colonial soldiers running to Brooklyn Heights. Right. Yeah. I mean, what else can they do at this point? They're way outnumbered. Yep. And it's uh, the middle of the day. Yeah. There's no nighttime coming anytime soon. Right. Which was another thing that back then, you know, there was not, it was not as possible to be engaging in warfare at night because you can't see. Right. I mean, it was the full moon the night before, so the moon but they would were only be just waning or whatever. But yeah, fighting would be a different yeah. story. Yeah. So, so now uh, another spot that was important that I referenced briefly earlier was Mount Prospect. Right. And Mount Prospect is behind the current day Brooklyn Museum. Okay. And it is a uh, area that's a very high promontory. You mm -hmm. can see down all the way to Brooklyn Heights from mm -hmm. there. And the British and the Hessians set up their cannons and they just start firing. They are now, they're seeing all mm -hmm. of the uh, retreating troops. Yeah. And they are just, you know, just like uh, they're at the state fair or something, just shooting, yeah. at, uh, you know, trying to knock down as many people as they can. Did they know that that was a high point in elevation? Like, did they know that, or or did they just come across it and realize that they could see the whole way and think this is a good spot to set up? I would presume the latter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sullivan himself is captured okay. while he's engaging with these 16,000 troops, and he has orders from Washington that reveals the size of the colonial army. Oh shoot so that's no good for them yeah. either uh, <laughs> and now we're at the old stone house as well okay? okay so the old stone house is right there yeah a yeah as you can see there are red arrows coming from all directions oh, the 16,000 the hessian troops that went through the flatbush pass the troops uh coming up that are Cutting through Greenwood Cemetery yeah. and the and the Red Lion Inn, uh, and I feel very overwhelmed by this. Well, they did too. Yeah. <laughs> so what what do we do here? We have uh, we have General Sterling, the other uh, general of the day, of important. He decides that in order to buy time for retreating soldiers, mm -hmm. he is going to take some of his. Uh, Maryland troops, the Maryland 400, which are uh -huh. a uh, group that is uh, specifically noted as having a burial site 
that is somewhat disputed, but a mass burial site somewhere in Brooklyn. Right. And although they're outnumbered five to one, they repeatedly assault the old stone house. Again, in an attempt to uh, divert, they, I don't think they had any illusions that they were going to win what was going on. Right. Um, they, and they're getting, there are now uh, artillery there, like cannons there, and they have a canister and grape shot, which is kind of like, basically like shotgun blasts. You know, they're like, uh, they're not cannonballs. They're, uh -huh. you know, more Oh, they're like, those little cannonballs. Well, they're, they're just, yeah, I mean, they're, I, I don't know a ton about this, but it's basically just, it's, it's meant to like shred people. It's not oh. really meant to, uh, you know, destroy. destroy. A or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. And, uh. It's unclear how many people died, but they're thought to be 260 specifically that died in this particular assault. Wow. And So they go down from the Maryland 400 to the Maryland 140? I, I don't know, something like that. Oh, boy. Yeah. And ultimately, General Sterling yeah. was captured as well. Okay. And he, he uh, I guess out of spite or whatnot, he gave his sword to the uh, Hessian general and not the British general. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, both, by the way, Sterling and uh, Sullivan would be exchanged later in the war for other uh, officers that the colonists captured and would come back to oh, gotcha. be generals okay, again. Okay. So oh. That, I, again, I think that's them. just a normal part of the yeah. process back then. Yeah, yeah. There was, a, there was a kidnapping that would be going on and things like that. You know, that. it's honestly, we still do that. Yeah, but it's I don't... It's not... That's like, that still happens. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, but now we're... By this point, this is only midday on the 27th, but the by basically with less than 24 hours, the British have taken Long Island. Oh. <laughs> Wow, yeah. Like, starting yeah, at the but, night on the 26th. Sure. I mean, there were so many of them. Yeah. And they were better at this. The only thing <laughs> the only thing that remains now is the Brooklyn Heights area. Okay. Up here. Yeah. So what happened there? Well, we have the night falls on the 27th. Okay. Um, there, it's, it's just the remainder of the day is just troops retreating. To... Cannons going off, right. you know, they're they're not pressing their advantage any further than yeah. I mean, they've already taken a significant portion of territory. Right. So they are probably, you know, uh, setting up, you know, they're they're getting their soldiers all up to where they can start surrounding the Brooklyn British Heights. Are. Yes. Yeah. And the American soldiers are just like trying to do whatever they can. Yeah. They're just scrapping. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And. The 28th comes, and it ends up being rain all day. Oh. So they don't... So what? Well, the... They don't fight? I mean, the the Americans kind of grimly are refortifying whatever battlements they have yeah. in preparation for a siege. General Howe, one of the Howe brothers, mm -hmm. he is resting his troops because they've just been, uh, you know, marching for 24 hours straight. Right. And there is some, it's even, fu you know, it's funny, like on YouTube, you can see people like, uh, um, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, General Howe. It's, it's just, it's no different than any other thing on the internet where people are criticizing people for what they did. 
and they believed that that house should oppress the advantage at that point in the rain day in the, the rain, rain day, day. And okay. really just crushed whatever was they had already done so successfully. Right. But, but was it typical to not fight in the rain? Like, was well, that... they were preparing for a siege. Uh, they, I think, perhaps there may have been some compassion there. Mm -hmm. You could also these are English subjects. These are not, you know, they're not fighting people that look different than them, which was a thing. Yeah. They so they. There may have been some compassion there. There was also right. the fact that the uh, the inclement weather prevented the boats from coming up into the harbor. Oh, okay. Which was important because then they could right. have totally surrounded what was going on. Thing. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not sure. There may have been something about the. The honor code that I keep referencing mm -hmm. that made them think either either that like let's give Washington an opportunity to surrender right. or uh, you know we are preparing for the siege and they they can get their chance to fight you know in a different way right. whatever the reasons uh, it is roundly agreed that it gave Washington time to figure out what to do next yeah and so it rained again on the 29th wow. And at that point, the Continental Congress or the, the leadership, I, I believe the Continental Congress was involved in some way, they decide they're going to retreat. Okay. Totally. So while, you know, while we just said that they gave up basically all of Long Island, maybe it wasn't in their heads. Maybe they thought they were going to keep some section of it or whatnot. But by the 29th, they decided they were getting out of there. Okay. And it just so happened that the weather, the, the fact that the weather came in and the way it did for these several days was hugely transformative to yeah. this entire situation. They were, they collected rowboats, lighters, sailboats, barges. I mean, probably, uh, you know, casks with a single oar, mm -hmm. you know, and they carried troops, cannon, wagons, horses, and provisions out of Brooklyn all in the middle of the night on the 29th under the cover of fog after the rain wow. and they did it completely silently while maintaining campfires all around Brooklyn Heights to give okay. the appearance to the British that they were still there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which, again, the honor code, I don't know if this would have been considered kosher or not. It's a with sneaky. That. It's sneaky. Yeah. And it is living to, to fight another day. And this is kind of compares similarly to Washington crossing the Delaware on Christmas, mm. which is that famous painting of that. But he they came on an invasion, you know, Christmas warfare. That's, you know, sure, people yeah. that was not part yeah. of the code. And it's interesting to think from just this week of reflection on the idea of him wanting to be a gentleman but commanding a revolutionary forces, what his evolution on his thought process was as he was forced to keep together these 13 colonies, these people that didn't like each other, yeah. frankly. You know, they, you know, Yankees, is, you know, it starts from then, you know, yeah. they, the, the people from the New, New England and the people from the South you know, it, it's no different than a completely different nations. Right. They, they, they didn't, didn't have any actual connections to each other. Yeah. And Washington was the one galvanizing force. 
And, you know, just the, imagine the, the uh, journey that he went on trying to hold these things together, trying to maintain this sense of honor, but also needing to win, you know? Yeah. Well, is this when, I mean, I think there was a lot of like propaganda around getting together, right? There's that join or die flag that has the snake that's all cut into pieces. I'm assuming that was made around that time. Yeah, I believe so. But it seems like you wouldn't have that sort of symbolism or artwork made if you didn't need it. Like if right. people were already on board. Yeah. 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 So it makes sense. Yeah. He had, a, he had a tough group to get together. Yeah. So the British came down that uh, night uh, or the next day, rather. Yeah. And they found the camps empty. And wow. George Washington was on the last boat getting out of, by all accounts, was on so the last boat. So they saw him just waving goodbye. It's kind of like that Game of Thrones where Jon Snow is looking at the White Walkers as he's He's oh, going. Right. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if there was some sort of like comparison. Maybe yeah, I mean, there. it's it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they all went into New York and that was the and end of the, the Battle of Brooklyn. Thus concludes the Battle of Brooklyn. Wow. Yeah. What a, what a story. Yeah. Complete, really, route by the British. Yeah. They could have really fulfilled their idea of uh, shock and awe completion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They weren't able to do so. And, you know, subsequent they, battles, there was a Battle of Harlem Heights uh, mm -hmm. a couple weeks later, which was the first quote-unquote win uh, for the Americans. Or oh. they, they, they had, they were able to, like, I think, either repel or capture some forces. Mm. But it, the the big thing was that after this string of losses, it was able to kind of uh, re-inject some confidence in Washington. Mm. And They still got pushed up though, right? Oh yeah, they, I like mean- they, they didn't, they won, but they like lost the area. Yeah, they lost the area Okay. Uh, by, by the end of that year. Yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, this might be obvious to, anyone but i just struck me for a moment here that brooklyn heights and harlem heights are i'm thinking heights they're like all these things were happening in the tallest points and i yeah. guess that's why they're called that Maybe. i actually always thought harlem heights had to do with being northern mm. but it probably is higher elevation yeah so they got pushed out in new york mm -hmm. and then at some point later on obviously they took it back because we're not under British rule yeah. anymore. Yeah, no, I think this is. But this, this is later, and yeah, this, is, this not is where I end part the, of our walk. Yeah, it's where I end my history lesson. Perfect. Well, thank you. Yeah, of course. So this is a but, good lesson. Yeah, it was. It, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but it was in fact the biggest battle of the Revolutionary War in wow. terms of soldiers. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I guess it was, you know, it. It made the young nation, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. uh, recognize that it was really in for in for it. Right. You know? And so I guess in that respect, it it was probably good to to get people roused to the to the sense of danger and the and the enormity of the task that was ahead of them. Right. Well, I think that's it. <laughs> that's a good place to end. That's a good place to end. Thank you for those that have stuck around and listened to the whole thing. We do this every week. Next week, we'll be in Greenwood Cemetery. 
in Brooklyn, a historic cemetery. Very excited to walk around and see it. Yeah, it'll be really fun. If you enjoyed this, please uh, subscribe, like. We've got a lot of great content on the site. We thank all of you that have given us feedback on it. We greatly welcome it and appreciate it. And, um, hope you continue with us on this year-long journey through New York City. Thanks for watching. Bye. Bye.